This morning as we get into the word, we're continuing on with our flow, talking about living in the light. And uh, I just, uh, I'm amazed at how much God is stirring up in each one of us as we press into this. We are called to be the light. We are called to stand in that place. And God is moving in our midst because of it, because we're allowing him to do what he already wants to do. We're allowing him to be in us who he is. And uh, so this week, it was so funny to me. I've been studying like all these verses about the light and, and God's brightness and his shining and all of these things. And then like... I think it was Monday. I don't know. You guys know, I, I'm not like a people, like a, like a people worshiper kind of thing, but I do mention Craig Groeschel maybe a little bit more than other pastors because he has like the greatest leadership teaching and, you know, their church is responsible for the version Bible app. But if Craig Groeschel is watching this by any chance, your app failed me this week. Your app let me down. And I'm like, Monday, it's failing me. Tuesday, it's failing me. Wednesday, I'm like, I should have an in with Craig Groeschel by now. For the amount of times I mentioned his name, there should be something happening here. But it, it was so weird because I, I didn't realize actually how many times a day I open my Bible app and I'll hear some little thing or I'll have something stir up in my heart and I, I want to check it out. And then I want to check it in multiple translations and whatever. So first off, I open it and everything's gone except the NIV version. So you know it's the devil. And I'm kidding, I'm kidding to all you NIV lovers. I'm kidding. I'm stuck. All I've got is the NIV John chapter one, verses one to five. That is it. There is nothing else on my version Bible app. So I'm like, I'm gonna like delete the thing and reinstall it. Comes back, that's all there is. I like, I, I sign into it in a different account. I've now signed into it in five different accounts. I've deleted it. I've cleaned off my phone. I've reinstalled it. I now have John chapter one, verses one to five in the NIV. So I thought I'd share that with you. Um, I'm not even joking. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Pretty good, right? He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, if you're going to meditate on five verses anywhere, anytime, this is a pretty good place to land. So here's my Bible reading for an unknown amount of time down the road. Um, but this particular passage, I was like studying this and I'm like, honestly, this is what we want everybody to know. Like this is the foundations of our faith. This is the truth of what we believe. We actually believe that God was in the beginning before anything was, he was, he is, he's always been. God is God. And he spoke the earth into being. We were watching a show um, the other day and it's like, a, I can't remember what it's called. And it's like a James Bond adventure thing, but it's, it's kind of like the amazing race. Anyway, so the question was, they have to answer these questions and go on these adventures and whatever. And the question was, they're in Scotland. How old is the rock that you're standing on? And the answer was, what was it? Two and a half billion. 
Well, we don't know when exactly God began speaking the earth into being, but we know this is our track record from God said, and we started breathing. So it's so interesting how we have these fundamental things that honestly, we have to, we have to go to the starting point. And as, as believers, if we're going to live in the light, we have to have a place where we just jump off of. And what we jump off is, is this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so we know that the earth was with, without form. It was void before uh, God spoke it into being. We don't know how long that earth was there and in void prior to that. Maybe it was two billion years that it was just hanging out there void and nothing. But our history, our history starts when God said, let there be light. That's where our history begins. And so it's so interesting that in John, it picks up with that in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Any person who is breathing carries something of God in him. We were fashioned by God. We carry breath. We breathe breath that he gives us. There's this thing that he has placed within each one of us. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the New King James, it says, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. And the word comprehend that's used there means attain it, obtain it, perceive it, or possess it. The darkness really can't manage the light. The darkness that we see around us has no ability to crush the light, to stop the light, to understand the light, to perceive the light. The darkness just is this void that is around us, but the light comes in and it will not be stopped. God is on the throne always and forever. If we jump down to John 1, 12 to 14, New King James Version, I also read the Amplified and a bunch of others. So, yeah. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And what we want to grasp in this passage is that as to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so even though every person is created by God, we don't become children of God until we say yes to him. He gives every person the opportunity. He gives every person the chance to say yes to him. But we have to decide. We have to decide to say yes to him. And so we're really careful with how we use these phrasings. We, we become children of God, which means when we, we become children of anything, we entered into a new family, right? The children of certain parents belong to that family. And so what we're really talking about is different family foundations. We're talking about different starting points. And so when you take God out of the equation, you have to believe in chance and cosmic universal energy and something happened at some point, some time ago that something banged and boom, there we were. And I don't know how we got from a tadpole to this, but so something happened over the course of 
unfathomable amount of years. And, and so it, we've landed here. And if you take God out of the equation, you take morality out of the equation, you make free will the dominant thing. And I get to choose whatever I want. And whatever I want is what rules me. And what God says is I've given you free will so that you can choose to surrender to me and to a higher law, a higher way of being, where morality is based on who God is and what causes life and life abundantly. The other direction, when we start with the nothingness, the void, and I don't know how we got here and God doesn't really exist and I don't believe that you can actually know him, then I therefore live by myself, for myself, in myself. I am responsible for all things. The word tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we follow that flow of thought, what we end up is a life that is broken and damaged and destroyed from the inside out. But we are called to live in the light. We are called to, to move in a different way of thinking, a different way of being. We're called to a different outcome. And everybody gets the opportunity. This isn't an exclusive thing. It's God gives us the opportunity to as many as received him. To them, he gives the right to become the children of God. And so we want to look at this. We want to look at the fact that even though there's a there's all these different mindsets, there's all kinds of different teachings, there's all kinds of different philosophies. I mean, literally, I think it's so hilarious when Paul acts 17 and he's like debating with people who sit and just talk philosophy and God and, you know, stuff. And they're, 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 they're just wanting to try out ideas and, and belief systems. And so much so that they build an altar to the unknown God, because we're probably missing one. Let's just make sure that we cover all our bases. We've literally been talking about all the cosmic options for all of human history. But God is the single starting point and he is the single ending point. And it says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot snuff it out. The darkness cannot contain it, control it, limit it. So we know that we are not in a shrinking uh, religion. We're in a relationship with the king, the master of the universe, and the light will grow as we walk in the light. And the more we walk in him, the more we experience. But one of the things that we have to understand that is that until we recognize the separation between two kingdoms, between light and dark, we are easily baited into the darkness. Until we recognize that literally there are two ways of thinking and being, we are easily baited into the darkness. And most of us would say, oh, I don't think I am. I live a pretty decent life. We have a pretty, you know, we're pretty moral people, whatever. Most people who don't even know God yet would say, I live a pretty moral life. I'm a pretty decent person. But when we recognize what the light looks like, it is easy to spot what the darkness looks like. When we see what light really should be, when we see who God really is, when we see what he's come to give us, when we call, call uh, his, on his name and we see things change, when we see and experience life and life abundantly, we can easily see this is the bait of darkness over here. And I want to talk about this because we, we, um, we need to understand that although the darkness cannot absorb or dissolve or comprehend or shut down the light of Christ, it tries. 
It tries. And we who are people of the light, we have to recognize the darkness cannot shut out the light of Christ, but it tries. If we don't recognize that it tries, we are not standing where we need to stand. We are not firm how we need to be firm. We are not purposeful the way we need to be purposeful. We don't live our lives in a way that makes and takes ground the way we should. If we don't recognize that it is trying, we don't fight back like we ought to. And I was thinking about this, this, you know, concept of darkness and light. And, you know, time change (coughs) is a thing that kicks us in the face every year, twice a year. It's so interesting. And this year I was just so, you know, aware because the weather's good. I have this giant dog. We were, I was away for two weeks, came back, not feeling super well. So we couldn't walk. And my dog is like, I mean, he's got to go for some walks, right? Got to go for some walks. And it was so dark. It was dark until nine o'clock. Then we got the extra hour back, which was like, whoo, we can go at eight o'clock in the morning. And then I realized if I take my dog walking at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm still not at the church. I'm not here for office meetings at any appropriate time. So I have to go out earlier than that. And it's so dark and everywhere we want to go. I mean, he, he feels the need to pee on everything. So I don't really like taking him down streets because I feel like our neighbors, I still want them to like us. So I like going to places that are a little bit more quiet, but they're so dark. And so my solution was I buy like glow sticks for our grandkids. So I built Walter like glow stick necklaces. And uh, so we're out on the golf course by ourselves in the dark. And my dog is bounding around the field like this circus clown with glow sticks going on. And Wayne, Wayne bought me a headlamp. It's not sexy, but it, it's effective. But you know what? The darkness, I could let the darkness decide my timeline, or I could say, this is my timeline. I'm going to do what it takes to move on it, right? I have to decide whether the darkness is going to dictate my life or my life will dictate how much the darkness gets to rule, right? Basic, simple example, but this falls into place with when we talk about all the darkness issues, when we talk about sin issues, when we talk about uh, mental issues, when we talk about the pressures of life, when we talk about what culture looks like and how it presses in on us, we can either adapt to this is how things are, or we can go, no, this is how I am. Culture will adapt. The things around me will adapt. I will live my life. I will recognize that I am not going to be pressed in. I'm not going to be squeezed by the, by the darkness. We have to recognize that there is a deliberate attempt to shut out the light. So there has to be a deliberate attempt to push back. There has to be a conscious effort. We need to realize that there actually is no neutral ground. And I know not everybody feels like not everybody's so militant in, in how they think life. But the reality is if we coast, we are coasting towards the dark. Guaranteed. It's not, it's not even like a neutral coast. It's like a magnetic pull. Because the prince of the power of the air, the king of darkness, that, that whole realm, it's like a magnetic pull. There's a, there's a thing that inhabits the earth, but we have been called to a higher place. So we very purposefully have to decide to be on the offensive. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city that is set on a hill. We are meant to be t- like deliberately putting ourselves out there. We're meant to be choosing to live in the light. I was thinking about, you know, th- little things. I remember a few years ago, Wayne and I were in, I, 
think it was you and I, me and somebody were in Jasper. And uh, <laughs> hiking trips, you know. Uh, but we, you, we were at Miette Hot Springs, which is a great place. And in behind where the, the little ice cream shop is and whatever, there's just like a kind of a grassy area. And I remember just being kind of shocked because it was like whatever time of the day. And we came out and there was all... Um, well, basically all these Muslim people and they had prayer mats out and they're all across the field because it was the time of prayer. And they were praying, pointing east, which was straight into a mountain, not, not you know, whatever. But I, I remember it struck me how many times I have felt or have been with people, even out in a restaurant where we really quickly like, Lord bless his food, thank you for that. Jesus' name, amen. But we don't want to weird anybody out because we're praying in a restaurant. But there was a whole group of people that were so clear about their faith that in front of everybody, out in a field, they're having family prayers, right? And I thought to myself, wow, isn't it interesting how in our culture, we have allowed some of this stuff to just bleed in. And we like, we don't want to offend anybody. And we don't want to upset anybody. We don't be weird. We don't want to, well, I think God's actually calling us to be weird. I think there's some stuff that's beginning to change. <laughs> And we have to decide to be a city on the hill. We have to decide to be a candle in the lampstand. We actually have to decide to live in the light. And in fact, uh, today and next Sunday, we're talking about lighting it up. We are going to light it up. We are on purpose going to light things. We are on purpose going to live in that place. And it's not meant to be offensive, but on the same, same token, Christianity is offensive. I mean, the word tells us that the, the power, the story of the cross, the, the story of the gospel to some it's life and to some it's stent, a stench of death. It's, it's offensive to some and it's life-giving to some. But we, if we know Jesus, it is life-giving to us and we have to purpose to live there. We have to purpose to stay there. So number one, how do we purposely shine? We live in the light. We live in the light. And you're like, You've been saying that for three months now. Okay. We live in the light. I live in Canada, which means my body is here. My taxes get paid here. We've established a home here. We have jobs here. We've built friends here. We invest and care for things here. We, we, we are here, we identify with here. If we're asked for our identification, we pull out government identification. This is my passport. I'm from Canada. This is, I, I live here. Some of us, we have encountered the light. We've said yes to Jesus, but I live in my world. And every Sunday I come and I experience the light. But when we live in the light, we are deciding this is the foundation for what I do. This, how I live, how I function, who I hang out with, where I spend my money. Every, the core thing is I'm living in the light and we've established he is the light, right? Not church. He is the light. Jesus is the light. God is the light. And so we have to decide to live in the light. Now, one of the things that I think is very um, interesting and, and we need to be more alert to it, is what I am calling the concept of the wet blanket. And um, even just the last couple of weeks, like being away, being out of the country, my experience was, 
experiencing other Christians and being in other places, my experience was it was like something lifted off and I could breathe. It was like, oh, yes, this is what the kingdom is about. This is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. This is where we're called to go. I could breathe. I could function. And coming home, um, it was like this slow descend of a wet blanket. And I was thinking about that phrase and it's because it's just, I don't know how else to explain it. It's like this, this thing that just kind of lands. And uh, so for, here's your little bit of history lesson. The, the verbal, uh, verbology of uh, the wet blanket actually goes back to the 1660s. And the concept wasn't what most of us think it is. We, we know that now when we say wet blanket, we equate it with party pooper. Um, Debbie Downer, which is really unfair to most of the happy Debbies I know. Um, but you know, it's like, it's a thing that just wrecks stuff. It's that, that person or that situation that just takes the joy out of everything. But the initial meaning of it, the wet blanket in the 1600s was, it was customary when you had a, like usually your cookhouse was away from the living quarters. And in the cookhouse, there was always a wet blanket or a blanket saturated with water so that if there was a fire, you could smother it quickly. That's the core meaning of a wet blanket. I believe that is how the, the atmosphere in this nation works. It's not an overt attack. You know, every, every nation has its obstacles. Every territory has its obstacles. And we know that there's light and dark. There's a battle that's raging. There's things that are going on. Every place has its things. Some are dealing with communism. Some are dealing with poverty. Some are dealing with religious unrest. There's all kinds of different obstacles. But I believe ours is just a wet blanket. And it's smothering the fire of the church. More specifically, I would say we have two specific ones. And I, I want to just, um, this is just a bonus. I am, I do not worship Canada, but I do believe when in Acts, it says that God has determined our times and the boundaries of our dwelling places. It matters where we live. And we've been assigned a presence in the place that God has put us. And so if we are here now, we need to care. And so yesterday, um, the Good Friday or not, keep calling it Good Friday services, the Remembrance Day services. I don't know how many of you watched our one in Ottawa. It was sad. Um, if you didn't, there was two chaplains. We might get edited offline for this, but we, there were two chaplains um, wearing crosses, neither of whom said God, Jesus, or any other deity. No prayer of any kind. We had a moment to think about what we should be grateful for. Two chaplains. And that was our national uh, declaration in front of the peace towers where there's scriptures engraved, in front of our national assemblies where there are scriptures in, engaged, where, where, where as the dominion of Canada, we are built on the word of God. And all of that has just been squeezed out. Now, I do want to give huge thank you to those that planned the Grand Prairie one, where there was several prayers. There was amazing grace. There was how great thou art. There was, there was ample talk of God. And um, so I believe we're coming from a really good spot. Locationally, God's planted a, a space and there's a, 
there's a, something to jump off of where we can stand in faith and we can live in the fire. But I believe that our two uh, wet blankets in this nation that we're fighting, and, and so, you know, when we talk wet blankets, we talk about whatever issues everybody faces globally. Every Christian around the world will have something that comes against them that baits them into the darkness, right? So where we are, I want to help you out just a little bit. I believe two of the main ones are apathy and inclusion. Apathy and inclusion. Apathy is the first one. It, it literally means lack of feeling or emotion, lack of interest or concern, or indifference. It's not anti-anything. It's just indifferent. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about this, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to James chapter 4. And we, we, we haven't meant this. No, nobody chooses this. This is what the wet blanket does. It just slowly settles and sucks the fire. Has anybody ever gone on a holiday? You've been away and you're like, oh my goodness, we vision cast it as a couple, as a family, as a whatever. We're going to come home and this is what our life's going to be like. Or, or you've like set your priorities. I've got away. I've got to rest. I'm coming home and this is what I'm going to do and be. And within a week or two of being home, you're like, eh, man, I forgot how exhausted I was. I forgot how tired I am here. I just, I mean, I should go out. I should do this. I know. Pastor George is planning a prayer meeting, but oh, it's been a busy week. I don't really care. The draw of apathy is not aggressive. It's not violent. It's not something that we would sense as an attack or something that we would, we would, you know, be alert to. It just slowly sucks the fire out. Just slowly pulls it out. So James talks about this, and, and starting in verse 3, it says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. And this is one of the gateways for apathy. What do I want? What do I feel? How do I enjoy things? What am I needing to experience? How does my life compare to others? You ask and you ask amiss because you want to spend it on your pleasures. But we talked about already when we come into the light, when we become the children of God, we've entered into another kingdom. So it's really about what does he want? What are his desires? What's the kingdom strategy? What's the kingdom plan? What does the King of Kings and Lord of Lords want? When we come into a time of worship like we did this morning, God, what's on your heart? Not now that I've got your attention, can I bring you my list? What's on your heart, God? And when we're in that place and we start wondering about what's, what's for his pleasure, what's for his delight, what brings him joy, what's the passion of his heart, we can engage differently. But when we have this thing that we slide into, what is the pleasure of my heart? What do I desire? What do I want? And this happens because we are living in a first world nation where we kind of can have what we want. You know, when, when, when there are places where the basic necessities are something that you're standing in faith for, the bait is different and the issues are different, but we have to recognize this is literally a first world problem. We can ask, what do I want? What is for my pleasure? And so this crossover then goes on and it says in verse four, adulterers and adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse five, or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. He wants us. He wants to be the desire of our heart. He wants to be the craving of our heart. He is God Almighty. And so this bait, the friendship with the world is bait. When we have this, I actually kind of like all these things. I really enjoy all these things. I want to be part of all these things. And none of them we would say are overtly sin. But is it about my pleasure and is it drawing me towards the things of darkness? One of the things that would be interesting for us to know is that friendship is not like what we think, you know, when we think the word friendship, it's like, oh, I'm best buddies with the world. I'm not best buddies with darkness. But do you know the word friendship with the world literally just means fondness? (laughs) Whoever has a fondness with the world actually becomes an enemy of God because he is jealous for us. He wants us to have a passion for him. And so what does that mean? It's the little dabbling. It's the little draws. It's the little things just towards the stuff of the darkness. I know this is a little bit abstract and some of us might be having a hard time getting this. What we need to focus on is, am I actively pursuing the light? Don't worry about, is that darkness, is that darkness, is that darkness? Am I actively pursuing the light? Am I choosing to live in the light? Am I putting my my energies towards living in the light? Am I spending my time, my resources, my focus on the light? Am Am I living there or do I just say I come from there? I identify as a Canadian, but I haven't been there in 10 years. If I'm a Canadian, then I need to be on this ground. I need to feel my nostrils freeze shut in the wintertime occasionally. So I remember the breath of life God's given me. I need to choose to live here. I can't disengage. When when I see what we saw in the Remembrance Day service yesterday, I can't disengage and just go, that's terrible. I have to pause and pray, God, keep our land glorious and free. I have to intercede. I have to pause and I have to say, you know what? That seems to be shrouded in darkness right now. I am living in the light and I still believe, God, you have a call for the people of this land. I still believe you love Canada. I still believe that you have a purpose here. I still believe you placed me here, not so I can go down with the Titanic, but because there's a purpose for this nation. We have to decide that. We have to decide and we won't even notice it. We won't even notice it if we've been drifting into the dark, if we cross over. Now, let's talk about occlusion. This is where I could get offensive. (sighs) Inclusion is, by definition, the act of including something or someone, integration together, the act or practice of including and accommodating something that was previously excluded. One of the things that I was interested to learn, I'm maybe a little slow on the uptake here, but when I was in high school, I remember whenever we talked about social studies, we talked about history, we always say Canada is a melting pot. And we love people coming from all over the world and we, they're just like brought into Canadian culture and we, we love having people from all over the world here, which we do. But do you know we've shifted our official stance as a nation? We no, no longer call ourselves a melting pot, we call ourselves a mosaic. 
That's literally on documents. We call ourselves a mosaic. And a mosaic is you bring your piece, you bring your piece, you bring your piece, and together we all make a brand new piece. Essentially, it's saying that the mosaic of what everybody brings from wherever they come from and however we want to be and whatever we think we are and whatever we believe, all of that together creates a new picture of who Canada is. We're a mosaic of a commonality first and we're Canadians second. Let me just say, first of all, in, in the kingdom of God, we're, we're kingdom kids first. We're Canadians second, no question. It's God first always. But he's assigned us to be here. What this means is when we look in biblical history, it's the thing that, that when we see Solomon was the smartest man who ever lived, who asked God for wisdom. And we see what wisdom did for him when he had the counsel of God. And all he asked for, when, when God said, I'll give you whatever you want. And God, he said, I want wisdom. And God gave him wisdom and he, he built. And there was fruitfulness in the land. And there was financial blessing and there was health. And there was increase on every front. And even the servants of the palace, it was noteworthy how joyful they were and how full of life they were. And God was really clear with Solomon, that I will be your God and you will be my people. And if there ever is a drifting away, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, right? I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Solomon liked pretty women. A lot of them, hundreds of them, hundreds of beautiful women from all over the world. He wasn't actively going, you know what? I want to betray God. I want to tank the nation. I want to invite demons into the land and absolutely sacrifice everything that God's given us. No, he liked pretty women. And he married them. And he brought them home. Hundreds of them. And he built a mosaic where he built this one a temple, and this one a temple, and this one a temple, and this one an altar, and this one a place of sacrifice. And they all brought their gods, and they all brought their demons, and they all brought their stuff, and Solomon had pretty wives. Over the course of time, I believe what has happened, and the reason I talk about the nation is because we are a Canadian church, and there are things that have bled into the body of Christ because it's culturally normal. So we think that it's normal, but it's not normal. So what, uh, what has happened out there is we have said, okay, we, we approve of this God. We approve of this religion. We approve of this belief system. We approve of this bondage. We approve of this way of, of silencing things and doing things. We've just allowed it to come together. But in the meantime, we have silenced the church. So instead of yesterday at a national event saying, we'll also cover this God and that God, we just disregarded our God. And we silenced the voice of the body of Christ in this nation that should be rising up and declaring something about who God is and how he leads and how he loves. So we have allowed this thing to squeeze in and it's just suffocated us. It's not to say that we don't love different people's viewpoints. We don't, we don't love different people coming from different places. Of course we do. This, this church, we are literally 
a melting pot. Our common ground is Jesus Christ. Our common kingdom is the king of, kingdom of heaven, and we are part of this all together. And we don't separate into factions and divisions and breakages of how we, how we serve God. We serve God together. We come and we honor the common God that we serve, that we're called to. And so when we, we know that that's what living in the light looks like, it means that we have to be very resistant to the culture outside of us because it has decided that this inclusion is the God. It's the thing that we actually declare on national and provincial, but more so national uh, announcements that we, we welcome everybody. We include every, we've made it our God. I'm just saying today, inclusion will destroy the church. We have to decide whose we are. We're not shutting out. We're not, we're not chasing down other stuff, but we have to decide to live in the light. And what we believe is that there is one way, one truth, one life. There is one way to God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus came and he put on flesh and he lived a sinless life on the earth, that he willingly gave his life. He was died. He was, uh, uh, tortured. He died on a cross. He was crucified, paying the full price for our sin. He, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. He ascended on high and he said he's coming back again. He is the hope that we carry and we can't silence it. I can't be concerned about who I'm going to offend from what place in what, what, what belief system. That is what Jesus is about. And, and the freedom to declare that is something that is foundational in this nation and we need to fight for it. But at the very least in the church, we need to stand and declare whose we are, what we believe, who we serve, who we love, what we're about. We need to be notably different, notably different because there's a press on the outside. Isaiah 61 and 2 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. In other words, it's going to happen. We have to be aware that there is deep darkness around us. We can't sit there and go, oh, that's just terrible. It's just That's just awful that things have gone that way. Well, what are we doing about it? I just ordered a six-foot nativity for my front lawn. That's what I'm doing about it. I'm like... Our, our neighbors are going to know we are lighting it up. It is about time. Some of y'all Wayfair, it's on sale this weekend. <sighs> but we need to be bold. This is who we are and this is what we believe, right? We're not questionable like, well, happy holidays. We love Jesus. He came for us. Let's declare it. Let's live light. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness of people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Take that as a prophetic declaration over you, your marriage, your household. You take that and you own it. Just 
declare it over your house. Even when you go home today, God, we declare that even though there's darkness over the earth, even though there's a spread of deep darkness over the people, the Lord is arising over us and his glory will be seen upon us in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the social settings, in our neighborhood. The glory of the Lord will be seen upon us. We are his. Come on. Some of y'all need some hankies to wave. We need to, we need to get excited about whose we are. We need to be excited about what we live in. The reason that the other stuff has had room to move is because it's loud. And we've been nice. In fact, we've been apathetic. If we can picture that blanket squeezing down on us and its purpose is to smother the fire then we need to decide to be resistant. Next week when we pick this up, we're going to talk about rising above it. And this is a big topic. But when I was sitting with the Lord, even this, this um, a couple of weeks ago when this started to land, and I, I was like, Lord, I can feel it settling. Like, what is that? What do I do about that wet blanket? Like, what do I do about it? And God said, get above it. Get above it. That is a conscious choice. That's a, I can just, I can sit there and go, man, it's just, it's just hard. Or I can get above it. And so this is what we're going to be talking about. Final verse. I just want to send you home to meditate with this one. So number two, how do we live in the light? Number one, how do we purposely shine? We live in the light. Number two, how do we live in the light? We choose to walk in bold relationship with him. I mean, I'm telling you, because the wet blanket is there to suffocate, because darkness covers the earth, if we don't passionately live, we will be sucked to death. That's not a fear tactic. That's the reality of the warfare that we live in. And it's increasingly dark and it's increasingly heavy. And so we have to decide to walk in bold relationship with him. Some of you have been feeling that nudge on the inside that you need to adjust your lifestyle in some way, that you need to add a little prayer, that you need to be doing certain things in your home, you need to get rid of some stuff, you need to maybe quit that group and start something different, you need to watch your friend base, you know, that kind of stuff. That is the Holy Spirit, listen to him. We have to get aggressive. We want to be the people that the glory of the Lord is risen upon us and it is obvious everywhere we go. It's obvious when people talk to us that we're a little bit different and it's a good kind of different, that we're bright, that we're bold. Ephesians 5, 8 to 11 says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That, okay. John 1, 1 to 5 is worth meditating on. Follow it up with this one. Ephesians 5, 8 to 11. Those two passages, if we meditate on those even for a week, it's going to change your life. It's literally going to change how you think. Because in here are instructions. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. 
and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That doesn't mean we don't talk to people who don't know Jesus yet. Fellowship means to be a partaker of or to participate in. So we're not talking about people. I can't talk to you because you are in the darkness. It means I don't participate with anything that you're doing, but I can spend time with you. I can love you. I can bless you. I can have a conversation with you, but I'm not going to partake in that. We, we, we've heard, you know, different groups, um, you know, young adults, Christian young adults gatherings or whatever, that they, they go to the bar after the, the young adults meeting. Maybe don't. Right? Maybe don't. Like grown Christian adults who spend time, you know, going to a Bible study or a church group or whatever, and then going for coffee and gossiping for three hours. Maybe don't, right? Maybe, maybe don't spend your money on things that are sowing into works of darkness. When you're feeling tempted by stuff, when the darkness is pressing in and there's temptations coming at you, very purposely say, I am choosing to live in the light. And if you can't be alone with your own thoughts right now, get out, go do something, call somebody, be somewhere. If you can't be trusted with your phone, give it to somebody, but choose to be in the light. Find out what is pleasing to God and do that. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. If it is a questionable TV show or a questionable movie that's going to lead you to a path that's going to have you doing stuff later on that night that you shouldn't be doing, shut it off. Blow up the TV. I don't care. But we got to decide that we are choosing to live in the light. And let me tell you, in the light is life and life abundantly. And it is worth it. I'm going to have the worship team come. Come on. It's about to get exciting around here. We, uh, when we presented the, the Children of God outreach thing, that just for those who are wondering about that, Debbie Graham's been doing that for a long time. She's been super faithful with that. And we just are supporting her in that. We're providing helps and whatever, but it's, it's her ministry. But next week, I want you to saddle up because we're going to launch a bunch of stuff. And uh, we're going to live in the light. We're going to do some things, and it's about to be very fun. So let's stand together this morning. Can we do a taste and see? The declaration in the bridge there is necessary with some stank on it. Ha. Thank you, Lord. Everybody's heading to the dollar store to get glow sticks. Ounce. Oops. My dog is lighted up even. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, today we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the promise of your word that in the beginning you were, that you spoke life into being, that you brought life and light, that we have the opportunity that for any one of us that says yes to you, we receive you. We believe that you are who you say you are. We receive you. We, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord God. I thank you in that moment, we move from one kingdom to another. We move from one family line to another. And God, today, I pray that this would be a house full of Jesus lovers who passionately live in 
the light. Lord, who don't curse the darkness, but shine a light. Who decide to arise and shine, for our light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. God, may we be people marked by your light in us, your presence upon us, God. Lord, we thank you for even right now, any place where that darkness has settled, where that wet blanket has settled, right now we submit to your authority, your rulership, what you say is normal, what you say is good, and we command that contrary thing to lift off our minds and our spirits right now in Jesus' name, to, 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 to uh, loosen its hold off of our mind and our thought processes, off of our spending habits, over our time practices. We command it to go in Jesus' name, and Holy Spirit, we ask that your fire would come and dwell inside, that you would move within us, God, that you would awaken us and ignite those things that have been cooled off. Lord, those things that have been being smothered, we ask the Holy Spirit that you would breathe the breath of life and ignite us. And we purpose ourselves to live in the light, to live in you, to stoke the fire, God, to seek out what is pleasing to you, God, to walk away from the darkness, to decide to not be friends with the world, but but sons and daughters of the Most High God, kingdom ambassadors on the earth. And Lord, we thank you for the light that is shining bright and clear. We thank you for it transforming our homes. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.